Hi, I'm TechCrunch Managing Editor Daryl Etherington. This is the TechCrunch Podcast, where we cover everything you need to know about the week's top stories in tech from the people who wrote them. This week, Christine Hall is here to talk about how VCs are using ChatGPT, and Natasha Lomas comes on to explain why Meta is in regulatory hot water. But first, I'll break down some of the top stories in tech. OpenAI has announced plans to begin charging for ChatGPT with a professional version that includes premium features. Paid access will include more immediate answers, no blacked-out access periods, and a minimum of two times the daily message limit versus the free version. For now, access will be waitlisted, and it's still unclear what OpenAI will charge, so it's asking prospective users to suggest palatable pricing. More on this from Kyle Wiggers on TechCrunch. CES had a lot of new product announcements, but batteries and portable power storage in particular had a banner year. From battery-powered large appliances like fridges and air conditioners to portable backup batteries capable of powering everything from your phone to your entire house, there was a lot at this year's show. Maybe it's prepper mentality gone wild, but it's clear this trend is here to stay. Check out Haya Jan Komp's article on TC for more. Microsoft has essentially gone all in on its subscription pricing strategy for its software products, and now it has an entry-priced option. Aptly named Microsoft 365 Basic, the plan costs $1.99 per month, that's $1.99, and comes with access to ad-free Outlook, plus 100 gigabytes of storage, and prioritized technical support. The company's free tier will still exist, with storage as arguably the main draw of the new plan. More on TC from Kyle Wiggers. A glitch caused chaos on Wednesday after a key FAA system went down across the U.S., the Notice to Air Emission Systems, or NOTAM tool, that crashed provides updates in real time about potential hazards for commercial flights to avoid. Its failure meant all U.S. domestic flights were grounded for hours on Wednesday morning. The FAA is still investigating the cause, but has shared that it did not appear to be a cybersecurity incident, but instead was the result of a database crash. More for me on TechCrunch. First up, Christine Hall talks about the piece she co-bylines with Kyle Wiggers and Natasha Mascarenas about how VCs are implementing ChatGPT. Hey, Christine, how's it going? Good, how are you? Great, great. I'm not yet replaced by ChatGPT, but I will be soon. <laughs> yes. <laughs> As will we all. <laughs> I'm waiting. <laughs> but we're here to talk about it. We're here to talk about it in a very specific context of how it's being used or not used in VC workflow deal flow, I guess. And you spoke yes. to some folks along with some other TechCrunch writers for an article yes. on TechCrunch Plus this week. What did you find when you spoke to people? Yes. Well, there seemed to be a trend in the answer of, I can see why investors might do this, but we don't because X, Y, Z. So That's not for other people, but we're good. Yeah, it's great for for other people if they want to do it. And people were very specific about what they thought was okay to use it for and what they thought maybe not so good to use. Mm-hmm. Like one of the people that I interviewed, Jerry Lou from Averon, he was saying that he thought it, it was good for past emails, especially because, you know, a lot of the VC, I shouldn't say a lot, but some VC associates have to send these past emails, you know, to companies on behalf of the partners. And they're given basically little to no information right. on the startup. So they're using something like chat GPT, to fill in some of those blanks would actually be a good thing. Mm-hmm. So it's something substantial as opposed to just, I mean, because I, I would imagine a lot of those are essentially form emails, but with some minor tweaks on them, right? Yes, that's what it sounds like based on what the VCs were telling us. Right. So yeah, that could make a lot of sense. I mean, that's almost a no harm, no foul situation. If it's if 
again, it, there's a lot of ifs, but it's like if you're on the receiving end of that and it's not immediately detectable that like a robot wrote this and it seems like, oh, like a human responded to this and like you're always going to get a no. So why not get something that is feels a little more human and feels a little more respectful of your time, right? Like that's okay. Sure. Yes. And I think that that was one of the maybe if you want to call it, you know, put it in the no or the con category was, you know, one of the VCs. Yanni Rechtman from Slow Ventures, and I hope that I don't butcher all these people's names, but um, <laughs> he said that he had tried using ChatGPT in a past email and it, all the time that it took to explain things and make sure that it has sounded like it came from his voice, all of the time that it took, he was just like, forget this, I can, I can write, write this it. email myself. Yeah. yeah. And so I think that that's probably a lot of what other people have seen. And, and, you know, I say like in full caveat, we've been talking about this as a reporter group, but, you know, there's a lot of people who have tried this and we're typing in things and getting answers. And I still am one of those people who I'm typing things in and getting no answers. Right. And I'm, you know, we talked about it. And I'm like, well, what questions specifically did you ask? And they would say, I asked this. So I would go to my, <laughs> I would go to chat GPT and put it in and they'd be like, no, I can't answer yeah. that for you. And I've talked to another VC unrelated to this story, but, you know, they said, yeah, just, it kind of is what it is. Like some people are going to get things and some people are not. And yes. so I was like, well. The consistency is still yeah. way off. And I think that's important <laughs> to point out because I'm not saying us specifically or even I'm not pointing any fingers. But I think in general, the tendency is to highlight the success cases because it is very impressive when it's successful. Yes. But it can provide the impression that like, wow, it's like already there. It's like ready to go, ready to deploy. And it's not that. It's very inconsistent. And for most production processes, you need things to be highly consistent before you put them into production, right? So Exactly. Yeah. And I, you know, I think that this is one of the things too, that it just looks fun. Like it's, it's mm. semi-fun to use. And if it's something that also reduces your workload, obviously that's going to be huge. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned rejection letters, but what are some of the other yeah. use cases that VCs brought up about things they might potentially see people using it for? Some other VCs were using it just for their kind of like end of the year essay type things that they might. Oh, their thought write leadership. To their, yeah. To <laughs> write to their like LPs or something like, hey, thanks for okay, Thanks yes. for, yeah. They, they used it for that. Somebody else said, I, I thought that was kind of funny because I, I was like, well, maybe I should try to do that for my, you know, end of the year holiday letter that I send out to everybody and see if it works. <laughs> I can just put stuff in there. But yeah, they thought it went really well. And a, a, another VC, Brianne Kimmel from Work Life Venture, she used it to pitch to journalists right. to say, hey, look, your your jobs are not in jeopardy. Because <laughs> look at what this came up with. You're good. Right, you're, right. Good, so you're good for now. I mean, that's a good use. I feel like that's an innovative use of it. I think that I could easily see, and again, this maybe falls into the same thing as like junior associates doing rejection letters, but you could see like PR coordinators or whatever, like doing this is their initial outreach or something, but then it runs into that problem of, but how much time do you have to spend feeding it before it's producing the results that you want and need? Yes. That was one of the things brought up in the article as well, was that the platform seemed to be trained on older data. So if you were doing something, you know, real time sensitive, this is not going to be for you. No. Or if you're looking for things that are not publicly available, like revenue figures or something like that for a company, you're not going to be able to get anything from chat GPT either. Yeah. If you're trying, what is this? There's terrible expressions that I somehow have blocked from my memory from my PR days, but like, (laughs) 
if you're inserting yourself in the news cycle, if you're newsjacking, or I don't remember what we called it, but it was bad. But like, this can't do that, right? Because it's like, it doesn't know what's happening currently, right? So, yeah. Right. Yeah. And anytime that you ask it, well, in my experience, anytime that you ask it for something that it would need to look up in the internet, it says, I can't look up on yeah. the internet for this. So, too bad. Yeah. There's a famous example doing the rounds now. Not famous, I mean, but there's a viral example doing the rounds now on LinkedIn that I've seen where you ask it who the CEO of Twitter is, and it somehow returns that Elon Musk is the CEO of Twitter. And then you, you ask it like, oh, but Elon Musk is only the CEO of Twitter in 2022. Like, how did you know that? And it says, I can't answer any questions later than 2021. <laughs> and it's like, wait a minute, how did you? And people are like, is it sentient? Is it figuring stuff out? <laughs> <laughs> Which is dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I don't think those things are true, but don't quote me on that yeah. when the revolution happens or whatever. <laughs> but um, So the, the letters to LPs was kind of interesting because that's almost pseudo sort of internal. Is there anything around that, like building out research reports or doing things? Like that's another area where I feel like it yeah. might be good, like just making more digestible like information that you have internally. Yes, I think that there were some people using it for kind of that research. But yeah, the, I think one of the things that they continued to point out was that if it's something that's well-known, maybe it's out mm -hmm. there on that chat GPT might have picked up, but... Oh, right. But it can't process new information. So if it's something yes. that you have proprietary, you can't like dump it into it and be like, tell yes. this back to me or whatever, right? Or integrate this. Yes. Yeah. Though, you know, according to your example, you know, it told you a really good story right. about Pokemon. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It did do that. That was great. <laughs> <laughs> so of, of the people, was anyone kind of like optimistic, even though if they're not using it now, that they would be shortly? Or did they project that that might happen? They didn't say that they personally would use it. But one of the VCs said they she would be shocked if they weren't already using mm, it. Okay. So, which I think both well with this. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's something that I suspect is going on and that is going to have kind of an iceberg effect where we're like going to realize like, oh, a lot of people are actually just using this. Like we thought, oh, when is it going to come? When is it coming? And it's going to happen a lot more quietly than people suspect and in sort of subtle ways at first. Yes, because we've seen, you know, articles coming out now where it's like, oh, this certain media outlet has been doing this the whole time. They've right. just been having all of these AI things. And so is it prudent to come out and say that? I mean, I think that on the article you should definitely have or on in the letter or whatever, like, you know, when the one VC was using it as like their end of the year essay, he put on there, I used chat GPT to create this letter mm. and here's what I did and, and kind of went through the process. Now, I don't think that everyone would use that for articles or other kinds of things, but I think that that's a, an interesting way of saying, hey, I'm, I am doing this, right. but are we at the point yet where we think that chat GPT is something that you could, especially if you're using it for research or something, is it viable enough or good enough to say, hey, I used this and somebody comes back and is like, well, are you sure? Like who's fact checking the fact checkers? Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that the transparency element is, will be an interesting debate because arguably yes. if you are transparent about it, it kind of invalidates the purpose of using it in a lot of contexts. Yes. But you, you mentioned, you know, the one VC who put it on the letter. And then I know you also mentioned Brand put it in the emails too, right? Like, I mean, that was the intent of the email yes. was to expose it. But, but still, not trying to trick anybody. And yet, when you want it to replace a human, if someone reads through the entire thing and then they get to that and they go, 
oh, well, what the fuck? Like, uh, <laughs> I can swear on my podcast. I don't know. We might have to bleep that one. You just wasted my time because this is there's a robot or whatever, yes. right? When I was reading through this and I actually got an email this morning about somebody talking about creating a software program for detecting plagiarism in chat GPT. Mm-hmm. And it kind of brought me back to when I was a you know, graduate teaching assistant in grad school. And this was, you know, I'm aging myself, but this was back when the internet was not the greatest place to go and look for things. And when we were talking to students about writing their papers, they were told, you know, you have to use so many sources, maybe like three sources, and only one of them could be the internet. It has, mm-hmm. you have to go find other things. Yeah, we did and, that too. And there, you're never allowed to use Wikipedia, which I think they changed <laughs> yes. a little bit Yes, later, I think it but, was like, I, I want to say Angel Fires had it. Do you remember that? <laughs> yes. It was, that, was that correct? Yeah. <laughs> that was one that you could use that was okay. But, you know, this kind of reminds me about this a bit because... Now you could say, well, you know, if you're going to use sources, you could use this, but this could only be one source and you have to like go back and right. make sure that this is correct. Yeah. But I feel like we're in the same place just, you know, 20 years later. Yeah, absolutely. It is that. And I think similarly, when we look ahead, it'll probably be like those ideas seem so jejun in retrospect. It's like, no, this is like commonplace. Yes. But yeah, yeah, I mean, who knows? Who knows? I can't predict the future. That's why I'm here and not on a yacht somewhere. But Yes, yes. <laughs> and, you know, kind of going back to the story about VCs doing this, you know, Natasha, who, who wrote the story with me, was saying she's kind of thinking about how it's not really entirely new that VCs are trying to automate their work. Absolutely not. Yeah. So this is just a more text-based tool for their toolbox that they could use for you know, whatever. Yeah, that's a great point. Because there was tons of VCs not too long ago who were like, oh, our thesis is entirely an Excel table. And we put in the values and it spits out whether we do an investment or not, right? So yes. not a new thing by any means. Not an no. issue. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, thanks very much, Christine. It's been great talking thanks. to you. And I'm sure we'll have you back unless we're all replaced by ChatGPT. And then who knows? So. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much for having me. Next, Natasha Lomas breaks down how the EU is cracking down on Meta's targeted ads. Hey, Natasha, how's it going? Hey, Daryl, good. How are you doing? Great, great. So you wrote this week about Meta getting its wrist slapped a little bit for being in the private information cookie jar, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) As is its business, indeed. (laughs) Um, But do you want to tell us what happened with Meta and the European Union? Um, so it, it's quite a, a torturous, twisted story, which which goes back quite some years, uh, sort of over four and a half. But the kind of the recent bit here is we did finally arrive at a final decision against... A finally final decision? A, well, I mean, appealable. Uh, <laughs> so no, oh, let, let's, okay. let's all get ahead of ourselves. <laughs> Uh, a final regulatory decision under GDPR, which is the European Union's big data protection, comprehensive data protection framework against Meta's two services, Facebook and Instagram. There is another judgment pending against WhatsApp, but we don't have that yet. So just Instagram and Facebook for now. And it's essentially the case, the complaint was over the legal basis they use for processing people's data for behavioral advertising, so micro-targeted ads. And basically, they were found to be in violation of the GDPR on this because they were claiming um, 
contractual necessity to mm. target you with um, behavioral ads. And in fact, the regulators decided that no, they can't do that. They actually need a valid legal basis. And that is not considered to be a valid legal basis for this type of data processing. So bad, bad meta. So who are they pretending that they had the contractual obligation to their advertisers? Well, no, they're pretending that the users of Facebook or Instagram were actually in signing, agreeing to a contract for Meta to provide them with targeted advertising, not with social networking. Oh, wow. uh, Quite funny, really, you know, not really what you'd think their core service is as a user, those great targeted ads. (laughs) That is, I mean, it's refreshingly honest, I think, of them that like, yes, this is our primary business. (laughs) I I mean, you say that, but actually they were also, they also had a breach of GDPR on transparency grounds because they didn't make. that transparent enough to the users so unfortunately not so honest on that front either right so Uh, you mentioned that this has been a long time coming but i think yeah you know, we all remember GDPR. Well, those of us who uh, were in this game when it <laughs> came out, those remember of us GDPR. Those hairs, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but it, like, I think about the enforcement action side of it, and you addressed this in the article, but it doesn't seem like there's been very many landmark enforcement decisions to date in terms of people actually seeing substantial, like large companies seeing substantial penalties for it. Is that accurate or have I just missed them along the way? Well, sort of under GDPR. Well, Hmm. um, I mean, there have been some quite large ones. I think the biggest is so far has been against Amazon, which was around, I think it was like over 700 million or something. Hmm, And that was by the the Luxembourg DPA, that great storied um, regulator. It's fair to say that kind of this one against Meta now is, is really quite significant because it's, it essentially gets to the heart of the business model. And that's really interesting. Whereas mm-hmm. a lot of the decisions, you know, the several decisions we've had against big tech companies up to now have been on sort of issues which you could argue are kind of less interesting because they're a bit smaller, maybe like a security breach or there's been some stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. Sort of exceptions, not just the general course of doing business for them. But. I mean, kind of. There has been some stuff that the French have been particularly active on around cookies and stuff, which is also quite strategic, but they use they've been using another European privacy regulation called e-privacy, which allows them to do it. So that's there's sort of been some stuff there. But this one is really interesting because it is very much the core, the heart of the surveillance ads business model, as critics like to to call sort of behavioral advertising. And so it really does kind of it's a real sort of test of whether you can actually regulate that because that's been a big question, hasn't it, for a long time. You know, users, a lot of users have been really unhappy about this. There's been loads of complaints. But nothing has seemed to change. So this is a real sort of, I guess, a important point of potential pivot where there may be a way for regulators to force a change in a business model that many people say is abusive, you know. So right. so it's actually quite it's quite significant in that sense. And and I don't think we've really seen other GDPR decisions that are at this level yet. So this one is very interesting. Although, of course, as I say, we have the final decision, but Meta is appealing. So we will still right. have year, years probably of legal wrangling. Love <laughs> due process, year. right? Indeed, but yes. <laughs> keeps, us, keeps us in journalism. What can we say? You know, we, we can't complain. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But it's. I mean, it's interesting. I feel like the biggest blow to that business model thus far has not come from the public sector and regulators, right? Like, arguably the biggest blow to that has come from Apple saying, from Apple, yeah. we're not going to allow this anymore. You have to pop up this little bug that says, like, opt-in or whatever. And it decimated, yep. I mean, decimated in relative terms, Facebook's advertising model. Yeah, yeah, right? no, absolutely, yeah. That but, just shows, but it also shows how much power these companies have. So Apple well, has too much. power <laughs> 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 So indeed, yeah. too much, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So does this lay a groundwork for where even what remains, like, do you foresee a future, at least in the EU, where this sets a precedent where it becomes sort of a chip away at this until it's no longer sustainable? Or do you think, I mean, the other thing we've seen with regulators and Apple is guilty of this as well. And a good illustrative example is like, Tech companies are very good at looking at the letter of the law and then adhering to it in ways that just totally trounce the actual trounce intent the of the law. Right, yeah. yeah, yeah. Completely, yeah. Do you think Meta can do that kind of thing here where it's like, oh yeah, we're still doing behavioral tracking, but we call it something else and it uses other signals that you can't kind of pay attention to? I mean, I'm sure that that's their intent, right? So the, mm-hmm. I think, was it Sheryl Sandberg sort of last year on one of the, before she left on one of the calls? There were, you know, there's been talk in Meta about reconfiguring their their ad targeting apparatus, I think also largely to do with the Apple threat when, you know, they've, they've removed a lot of their data through this app transparency issue. So they, they are certainly looking at, at trying to retool to sort of root around the damage. The, the issue they have, I think, is that they're very behind on this, right? So right. we can c- contrast this with Google, which also was one of the targets. Google's Android was also a target for the same type of complaint in 2018, that these complaints that we've now got against Facebook. And Google has for some time, I think since 20, 2020 at least, that they've been working on this plan, this privacy sandbox plan to evolve how they do ad targeting to claim you know, a privacy-safe version that relies on sort of the latest flavor of this is a sort of a, an interest-based thing. So it's, it's, it's not individual targeting in the way that we've got now. So, so they're already arguably working on the solution to this, you know, to, mm. <laughs> to comply with the spirit, the letter, but not the spirit of the law. So right, they'll still right. be, you'll still be able to do personalized ads, but they'll be claiming their privacy safe and all of this. So Google is really probably, you know, three years ahead of Facebook on this. So even if Facebook realizes and does, oh gosh, we need to do this, they are very much, I think, on the back foot here. And, you know, deeply implicated with all of these, you know, regulations and legal challenges and so on and fines, because they also got fined, uh, I think, over 410 million for this particular two decisions. (laughs) And there's plenty more in the pipe. So, yeah, they will try that. Whether they've left it too late, I think, is is an interesting question. Uh, Other people are also trying to kind of capitalize on this on this sort of hinge point. So another sort of story that was doing the rounds recently this month is a bunch of European telcos are sort of trying to get together and do a joint mention to sort of offer personalized advertising, but based on first party data only. So again, kind of claiming privacy safe and with explicit consent. So exactly what Facebook doesn't offer users. So you can see these kind of in the background, big tech companies like Google have already been doing this. And then other, you know, other contenders are saying, oh, this is an opportunity for us to get in there. So Facebook again, Meta is maybe, maybe left it a bit late, really. They've tried their hand. I don't know, you know. Never write them off, of course, but I don't know. They're they're not in a great place, I think. (laughs) No, and I don't think they're very nimble anymore either, right? So they're kind of slow to turn the ship and they probably have their eye off the ball a bit as well, given Zuckerberg's priority on... Given he's like got his eyes in a in a in a VR headset, can't see anything else. <laughs> yeah, Indeed. exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. I think uh, yeah, it could be existential for them, and it could be something that I mean, on the plus side, opens up. Uh, I mean, a, a conglomerate of carriers is not the ideal competitor. I mean, yeah, but <laughs> it's not great, not ideal. No, I don't think anyone's going to be celebrating that. But, uh, <laughs> but maybe other younger, more nimble competitors can enter in. Indeed, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think there are there are some startups looking at ways to try to do 
sort of very claimed privacy safe versions of kind of data processing, like encrypted data. So the data remains encrypted and you can process it and never decrypt it. And you could maybe then argue that you're not processing the personal data if it remains encrypted. So there's all sorts of kind of highly nuanced technical attempts going on around that. And yeah, they would also then need to be tested against whether they actually comply with, with the law in practice and indeed in spirit. So yeah, there's definitely startup activity in this in this area. And I think we'll, we'll definitely see more of that. And Meta probably can't acquire those startups because it's because <laughs> it's under such close regulatory attention, they probably wouldn't let, let it uh, these days. That's so right. There's, there's also that. So. It's not allowed <laughs> so to buy a VR boxing no. app. Well, so quite, yeah. so why should it be allowed to buy, you know, <laughs> buy its way out of ad targeting uh, with a privacy yeah. safe company? So no, <laughs> bad <Yeah>. method. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk a little bit, uh, specifically here, you mentioned the the DPC. The, the Irish uh, regulator, yeah. Irish regulator, yes. I'm like terrible at the acronyms here. Because it's also, isn't it like, oh, I know. So it's is the IEDPA, a.k.a. the DPC? It's like, wait, what? They get two acronyms? But. Uh, you, you, there's just next level. The regulators have their own acronyms. And then there's the acronyms that are more palatable to the public. <laughs> so you have la- layers of acronyms. So I, I was trying to do a read, reader as a service there. But yes, the, that is the Irish regulator. Yes. So what's going on there? Like, I know that, you know, Ireland is seen as a kind of a safe haven or a safe harbor for a lot of these companies. And a lot of them, like, specifically incorporate there because of what's perceived as sort of lenient treatment by regulators. So is that something that's come up in this case? And oh, what do you goodness. think are the impacts of that? Yes. I mean, that is something that has not only, I mean, that's kind of been central to this case, essentially, mm. given you know, just on the bald facts that the, the complaints were filed in, in May 2018, exactly when GDPR, on the first day it came into application, these complaints were filed. And, oh, you know, so this it, is one of the test cases that they this, have ready to go. Hopefully. This is the, 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 the NGO behind it, which is called Noib None of Your Business, which is was founded by Max Schrems, who's been a very long time privacy campaigner and fallen in the side of Facebook for years and years and years. So he was ready to go on day one with these very strategic complaints. So that was 2018 May. So, you know, it's just on the bald fact that it's taken until, you know, January 2023 to get a final decision. Um, And I mean, the Irish DPC will say, well, it wasn't only their fault that it took so long because there was a dispute with the other regulators. And that's part, that's kind of how this works for these big cross-border big tech cases, because obviously you can't just have one member state deciding, you know, right. everything because it, it affects everyone in Europe, doesn't it? It shouldn't. It wouldn't be fair if Ireland could make all of the decisions about, you know, com- all of these big tech companies. So the regulation allows um, other interested regulators across the EU to kind of review a preliminary decision from Ireland, which we had in October. I think it was twenty twenty one. I think was when the draft. DPC decision came out. So there, the Irish draft decision was fine with with Facebook's contractual <laughs> necessity. <laughs> Didn't have a problem with it, but other DPAs did. So then we had we had a process of you know dispute resolution, and then we eventually had the EDPB, another acronym. So that's the European Data right. Protection Board stepping in to settle this dispute because they couldn't agree amongst themselves, and then issuing the binding decisions that forced Ireland to strike down the contractual necessity. So so you know. Again, on all, on all of these bald facts, if it had been left to Ireland alone, it would have taken A, a long time, but also B, it, no Facebook result. would have been quite happy. Yeah, Meta right. would have been like, oh, this is, this is pretty good. We can carry on. So certainly the criticism and the kind of central role of the, the DPC is, is a very big feature of this case. And really, 
this whole issue has been a big thorn inside of the European Commission because the GDPR is one of its flagship, you know, yeah. regulations and it likes to sort of trumpet on the global stage that it's the only one leading regulating the internet and so on. So definitely I think this case has fed into their thinking as they've kind of come with other regulations for digital platforms. And this year we've got some big ones coming in. We've got the Digital Services Act and the Digital Markets Act both coming into application. And, and the interesting distinction there is they have not left it up to member states to mm. rule over these big platforms in certain instances. So they, they are actually keeping oversight centralised for the, these new regulations. And you can really say that the Irish DPC is, is, the, is the parent of that. <laughs> <laughs> that, that I mean, it really has obviously inspired a rethink from yeah. you know, on how they approach this stuff. Because you just can't, you know, you can't leave such important decision making up to sort of forum shopping and you know the nice little politicking that goes on at member state level when a company can come in and go oh we're going to create 200 jobs but you know look we've got this thing coming up so there's lots of horse trading and the commission has obviously decided it needs it needs a better way to rule over big tech because obviously it's it's so powerful it affects all of our lives now and it has a huge implication for people's rights in all sorts of situations so so again, we can thank the Irish DPC for inspiring a new approach, I think, in part at least. There. Well, so. I mean, that's actually good, right? It's like a, some good came of this in that yep. ho- hopefully when the DPA comes into effect, it'll be much more enforceable in a much more timely manner. And that's bad news for the main villain of the internet right now. Uh, the person in theory, in theory, we don't yep. need to name because, you know, whatever. He's oh, everywhere. <laughs> yes. <laughs> It's going to be a show, showdown year, I think it's fair to say. Uh, so, yes, <laughs> get your popcorn. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, Natasha. Great to learn about this. And I'm glad Meta is getting some of its just desserts. And hopefully that continues. Great stuff. Lovely to speak to you. That's it for this episode. Thanks for joining us. You can read all of the stories we talked about at TechCrunch.com and be sure to use our TC Plus promo code, TC Podcast, that's all one word, to get 20% off on both annual and two-year terms. Check out all the other TC podcasts, including Found, Equity, Chain Reaction, and the TechCrunch Live podcast. We'll be back next week. The TechCrunch podcast is hosted by myself, managing editor Daryl Etherington. We're produced by Maggie Stamitz with editing by Kel. Bryce Durbin is our illustrator, Alyssa Stringer leads audience development, and Henry Pickovit manages TechCrunch's audio products. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.